turn with me in a Bible to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. So we're continuing in our series through this book. Mark was most likely the first of the New Testament Gospels to be written, and they stay. Um, Mark's most likely the first of the New Testament Gospels to be written, and it focuses on who is Jesus, and why did he come, and what does it mean to follow him. And as we continue to go through this book, the answers to those questions will unfold as we proceed, and we'll see uh, more about who Jesus is in this passage that we're looking at this morning. So let me read Mark 1, verses 35 to 45. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, that is Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let's go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout Galilee, all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. So I want you to imagine that a good friend of yours has just returned from a vacation in the Caribbean on a beautiful beach. Right? Nice thing to imagine this time of year in New England, right? And they bring you home this glass jar that is as a souvenir and it's filled to the brim with beautifully colored sand and mineral rocks and uh, intricate seashells. Several of those, a couple of those large conch shells. And they're all in this jar, and in your curiosity, you dump it all out, and you sort everything out. You put the sand over here, and put the rocks over here, and you put the big seashells over here, and you look at them and admire them. And then you think, how am I going to get it all back in the jar? Right? Now there's a trick here, right? You might know this. If you put the sand back first at the bottom, and then you put the rocks, the sort of medium-sized things, in, then the jar will seem almost full, and you won't have room for the big seashells. And you'll think, ah. But if you, put, if you go the reverse order, if you put the big seashells in first, and then the medium-sized rocks in second, and then you pour the sand in at the end, it'll all fit perfectly, right? Now, I remember hearing an analogy like this back when I was in college, and the application was to time management. Right? How do you manage your time? Right? You can sort of 
feel like you don't have enough room for everything, but if you put the important things, the big things in first, and then fit other things around it, then your life will tend to go better, right? It's about priorities. In fact, when I was in college, some of the students who were most diligent were actually the varsity athletes. Sometimes varsity athletes get a reputation for not being particularly studious, but uh, in my experience, many of the college athletes that I uh, in, in my college were actually more focused and disciplined because they had to practice four hours a day, usually six days a week, in season, plus travel to games. And so a lot of their schedule was filled up and they had to schedule their classes in the time where they weren't practicing and their labs and make sure they were gonna get their homework done so they could, because if they failed their classes, then they'd be cut from the team, right? So having a full schedule actually uh, in some cases, made them more focused and disciplined about how they used their time and how they prioritized. Now, the passage we're looking at this morning is really about priorities. And in particular, what we see in this passage, we see the priorities of Jesus. And we'll see in this passage that Jesus prioritized three things. First, private prayer. Second, public preaching. And third, costly compassion. Private prayer, public preaching, and costly compassion. And I want us to look at each of these priorities of Jesus. And as we look at the priorities that, uh, of Jesus in his life, we can also reflect on our own lives and consider how do our priorities compare to his or line up with his. Uh, how do we examine our own priorities in light of his? So first, the priority of private prayer. We see this verses 35 to 37. Jesus made private prayer a priority. He rose up very early in the morning while it was still dark, left the house where he was staying, and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. Now, if you remember last week, Jesus had just finished a long day, right? He had preached at the synagogue in the morning, then he went to Simon's house. Sometimes I say Simon, sometimes I say Peter. They're the same guy. So he was born with the name Simon, and Jesus gave him the name Peter. Peter means rock. And it's not that Peter was stable and solid when Jesus first met him, but Jesus was going to make him into somebody who was a stable and solid rock uh, for, for the church. Um, but anyway, Simon Peter, same guy. Anyway, so Jesus goes to Simon's house, heals Simon's mother-in-law after preaching the sermon. Then, at sunset, when the Sabbath was officially over, the whole town came over. And everybody wanted Jesus to heal them or deliver them. And, and people were there late into the night. So you just imagine, right? A huge group of people in your house till all kinds of hours of the night, and you finally get to sleep. And... You might think, I just want to sleep in as late as I can the next day, right? But no, Jesus gets up very early in the morning after an exhausting day and goes off and prays. And he went to a desolate place. That's the same word that's translated wilderness earlier in the chapter when Jesus went into the wilderness and he was tempted. And uh, that word wilderness doesn't uh, it could mean a desert where nothing grows, but it really just means a place of where it's you're quiet and alone. A place away from the city, 
away from sort of the hustle and bustle, a place where everything else is stripped away, but God is there. You know, sometimes in the Bible, the wilderness represents a place of temptation, but it can also represent a place of intimacy with God, where when everything else is taken away from us, that we can draw near to God. We're invited to draw near to God in those wilderness places. Now, this is the first of three times in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus goes off by himself to pray. So here, at the beginning of the Gospel, he goes off by himself to pray after a long, sort of the first full day of ministry that Mark shows us. And then, in the middle of Mark, after Jesus feeds the 5,000, another long day of ministry of healing and teaching and feeding people, Jesus goes up into the hills, spends half the night praying, and then at the end, the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he's crucified, he goes into the garden to pray. Now, Mark doesn't... Uh, Mark, those are the three times that Jesus goes off and prays in Mark. Now, some of the other Gospels tell us, especially Luke, give us other examples of when Jesus also went off to pray. But I think Mark shows us that his whole life and ministry was framed by prayer. In the beginning, in the middle, and in the end. And, of course, that indicates there were other times that Mark doesn't tell us about. But he wants us to see that prayer is sort of a key foundation of Jesus' life and ministry. It's not just what Jesus does when he has lots of extra leisure time. It's what he does when life is busy and stressful and there's a lot of pressures around him. And notice here, Jesus went off to pray even though his disciples and the crowds had some other ideas of what he should have been doing with his time. Simon and those who were with him, they go and find Jesus. And what do they say? Everybody's looking for you. Now, it's not really a positive picture here of the disciples seeking Jesus out. It's more like the disciples don't understand Jesus' priorities and his intentions, and they're trying to correct him. Of course, Jesus is not going to be corrected by them. He says, he doesn't, he, notice what he says, let's go on to the next towns that I can preach there also. Uh, you know, Simon and the others wanted him to come back to Simon's house and maybe heal more people. You know, more people had heard about what he did the night before, and they want Jesus to help them with their problems and their needs too. But Jesus wasn't driven by a desire to gain the approval of the crowds or of his disciples. His life and ministry was built on the foundation of communion with God. And so here, he prioritized private prayer. Now, what about us? Right? I think this priority translates pretty easily to us because if Jesus, the sinless Son of God, needed to pray, how much more do we, as God's children who are prone to wander away and who are still battle with sin every day, how much more do we need to pray? Right? If Jesus himself needed to go off and pray, how much more do we? And you know, busyness is not an excuse for failing to pray. Right? Many of us can easily waste time fretting and worrying or complaining and gossiping or watching TV and scrolling on social media, and then we say, I'm too busy to pray. 
problem is not that we're too busy. The problem is that our priorities are out of place. You know, if Jesus built his life and ministry on communion and prayer with his heavenly Father, why do we think that we can accomplish anything of lasting or eternal significance without being rooted in that same dependence and prayer on God? Now, we can't always go away for a whole morning to pray alone for, you know, it might have been five, six hours that Jesus went off. It was before it was before it was light, while everybody else was sleeping, that he went off. They had to go find him. He was probably gone for at least a few hours. Can't always pray for a few hours each day, right? You might wake up and have other people who are depending on you that you need to care for and attend to. Other responsibilities that you need to, that you can't, can't just run away from during the day. But do we take initiative to prioritize private prayer, even if other people around us don't understand or don't support that, that priority? Let me give some practical ideas how we might prioritize prayer in our own lives. So this is a list of ideas. You don't have to do all of these things. But let me just give you some practical ideas. Maybe you can sort of listen to this list of ideas, and if there's one that's particularly helpful to you, start with one. Start with, you know, putting one thing into practice. So some practical ideas. Pray in the morning before you start your day. All right? I don't know how else to say it, but the first thing you do when you wake up will shape the rest of your day. All right? First thing you do is look at your phone and scroll through the news that will affect how you see the rest of your day. It would be better to go to a Bible app and read a, some verses or a chapter and let that frame your day, right? Rather than starting with something else. Psalm 63 says, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. Sometimes it's translated earnestly. Sometimes it's translated early, but the, the word can mean either one. But pray. Before you start your day, even if it's not a long prayer, start with prayer. Uh, I've actually included on the back of this blue insert a morning prayer that I have found really helpful. It's an old prayer from, I don't probably oh, hundreds of years ago somebody wrote it. But it's, for me, been a helpful way to frame the day and sort of offer the day to the Lord. I don't pray it every day, but I pray it sometimes. I find it helpful to me. So pray before you start your day. Second, pray through your daily schedule. Think ahead about your appointments, you know, people that you're going to see, people you might interact with, and your responsibilities, tasks that you need to accomplish. And just pray about those. Offer those to God in prayer. Sometimes I look at my to-do list and pray through my to-do list. Sometimes I look at my email inbox and pray through my email inbox. Sometimes I find that too distracting, but sometimes it's helpful. To say, Lord, here's my list of tasks for the day. I need your help and guidance in each one of these. I need your spirit's presence with me. I need your, your attitude and your heart toward, toward each person that I interact with. Uh, your attentiveness to listen well and to, uh, to do what I can to help the, uh, and, and honor the people that I, that I meet with. You see, prayer can help us prioritize the rest of our lives. You know, when Simon and uh, whoever else was with him came and found Jesus, Jesus had clarity about his priorities. Jesus said, you know, I'm not going to go back to Capernaum. I'm going to go on to the next towns. 
because there's probably enough people in Capernaum who want to see me that I could stay there for, for years. But Jesus knew that his mission was not just for Capernaum, but to go to other towns as well. Right? And so prayer, uh, in prayer, uh, Jesus had clarity about his purpose and his mission. And in the, in the same way, God will help us to prioritize the rest of our lives when we prioritize prayer. Uh, third suggestion, pray for those on the prayer list. We just did this during our prayer time. Uh, but those who have particular needs for healing, strengthening, or encouragement, or pray through the church directory. Uh, and that way you don't miss anybody who's connected to the church. So there's six columns in the right now in, in, in the members and regular attenders section. And if you pray through one column each day, you'll pray for everybody in the church over the course of a week. And there's other people who uh, were formerly part of the church or have moved on, and you can pray for them as well as day seven. That's sort of the second page of the directory. So uh, pray for one another regularly in one way or another. Uh, fourth idea, journaling. So for me, this is a new habit. It started in the last year or so. Uh, you know, I heard, I've always heard people say, oh, journaling is a good idea, and I just never was particularly motivated to do it, and you don't need to, you don't need to do journaling. There's no Bible verse that says you have to journal. But in the last year, I found journaling to be particularly helpful uh, for two main reasons. Number one, uh, when I'm processing complicated thoughts and emotions, I find it helpful to write them out. Number two, uh, journaling has helped me to thank the Lord and recognize when he answers prayer. Sometimes we just sort of take good things for granted and don't realize how many prayers God has answered. But when I write them out, I usually journal maybe once or twice a week. Uh, I try to journal on Mondays, my day off. Um, and when I look back over my journal, sometimes even the last Monday, some things I prayed about, I realized, oh, the Lord's actually answered some of those prayers. And I wouldn't have noticed that, except I go back and read what I prayed a week ago. And so that's been really encouraging to me um, to, uh, and to focus on sort of those good provisions of the Lord, right? In the midst of hard things that we might be going through or things that are on our hearts that we might be praying about, it's important to remember to thank the Lord and journaling has helped me to do that. Uh, fifth idea, again, just consider if there's one of these ideas that you want to take and run with, find your desolate place. Find a place where you can pray in solitude and silence. So when I was in college, I had roommates, and so I didn't really have privacy, even in my bedroom, because there were two of us, uh, and, uh, and the, the dorm was sometimes loud. Um, so sometimes I would go and pray in a Catholic church downtown that was open during the day. Sometimes that was a helpful place for me to go, to just pray quietly. And I could kneel down, I could pray. Sometimes I go for a walk in the woods and pray there. Uh, sometimes I've gone to a retreat center for a day or even an overnight. Some Christian retreat centers are happy to have people come. If you call them up and say, I'm just looking for, is there a quiet place that I can just pray during the day or reflect? And many of them will say, yeah, come, it's free. We won't even charge you anything. A lot of Christian retreat centers will be happy to accommodate that if that's helpful to you. Uh, particularly if you're sort of at a major junction in life, and considering some important decisions, uh, when I was, I think when I was, you know, I think when I was um, deciding whether to propose to my wife, <laughs> I spent a day in prayer and went off and prayed in a park in the middle of the summer. And uh, I remember exactly where I went, New Haven. Um, 
So sometimes that's helpful to sort of even spend a whole day uh, just committing uh, some decisions to the Lord in prayer, seeking him. It's not, that won't be a waste of time if you do that. So there's a lot of practical ideas for prayer, but that's the first point is the priority of, of private prayer. Praying, going out to pray alone. Second priority that we see in Jesus' life in verses 38 and 39 is the priority of public preaching. So Simon and his friends say, everyone's looking for you. They want you to do more miracles. And Jesus says, let's go on to the next town so I can preach. Now, Jesus did a lot of miracles when he was on earth, but he wasn't primarily interested in being a miracle worker. That wasn't his number one priority in his ministry. And uh, again, you know, you read through Mark's gospel, there's many times that Jesus does miracles, heals people from sicknesses, delivers people from demons, helps people with their problems, and when people come to him with needs, Jesus always responds with generosity and compassion. And his miracles met people in their deeply felt needs, and they were signs of God's kingdom. They're a foretaste of what we'll all experience when Jesus comes again. But you know, we never see Jesus going into a town and announcing a healing crusade. He doesn't go into a town and say, anyone who wants to be healed from your sickness, come to me. That's why I've come here, to heal you from your sicknesses, right? Anyone who wants to see a miracle, come and I'll do a miracle and then you'll believe in me. Because you know what? Some people saw his miracles and they didn't believe. Some people even saw his miracles and accused him of being possessed by the devil. See that in chapter 3. Right? So miracles do testify to the power of God, but they don't automatically lead people to faith and trust in Jesus. And so, uh, yeah, and sometimes people can get so focused on the miracle that they forget the miracle worker, right? They get so focused on the healing that they forget the healer. So focused on the gift that they forget the giver. So Jesus wants people to see he's who they need, right? He's not just a means to another end. So when Jesus went into new towns, he normally began not with miracles, but with teaching God's word. That's what we see in verse 38. Let's go on to the next towns. They may preach there also for that is why I came out. Already in chapter 1, we've seen Jesus preaching the good news in verse 14 and 15, and in verse 21, when he went into the synagogue in Capernaum, and here he's willing to leave behind crowds in Capernaum who wanted him probably to do more miracles to go to other places and preach. So Jesus prioritized the public preaching of God's word, pro proclamation or teaching of God's word. And if we are Jesus' followers, we too should share that priority. Now, what might that look like for us? Uh, let me give two implications. Uh, uh, first, if you look at these first two sections together, right, prayer and preaching, a healthy Christian life includes both the journey inward, prayer, and the journey outward of proclamation or mission, right? Verse 35 says Jesus went out to a desolate place to pray. Verse 39 says he went throughout all Galilee. It's the same verb in both verses. The point is Jesus is intentional in going out to pray all by himself, and then he's also intentional in going to different towns and cities to proclaim the message to people. And so, for us, 
A healthy Christian life includes the journey inward, right? Seeking God in prayer and the journey outward, right? How do we go out and love and serve others and share the gospel and share the truth of Christ with other people, right? So, so it's a good question to ask yourself, how, you know, am, am I on both of those journeys? Am I on a journey inward to deeper relationship with God? And am I on a journey outward to love and serve other people, right? Not just myself. So both of those are key and they feed off each other in a healthy Christian life. Prayer and uh, ministry. Second implication. A healthy Christian church keeps God's word at the center of his life together. Right? Now there's a lot of things that a healthy church does. Right? In a healthy church people spend time with each other and hang out with each other and love one another and eat meals together and find ways to be in each other's lives, right? But a healthy church isn't primarily a social club, right? The primary attraction of a church shouldn't just be, oh, I like the people and I just wanna see my friends, right? Uh, now a healthy Christian church, uh, in a healthy Christian church, we people might experience healing or answers to prayer or even miracles. But you know what? That shouldn't be the primary focus of a healthy Christian church. It shouldn't be only or primarily about healings or miracles. Right? That might be something God does, but that's not the heart of it. Now, a healthy Christian church do good works for the community. Right? And find ways to love and serve people who aren't yet part of its membership. Right? Who don't yet come. But again, a healthy Christian church is not primarily a civic organization. There's a lot of volunteer organizations that you can join that do good works for the community. So all these things are, are good parts of a church, but what empowers and energizes a church should be the word of God. Right? Because when the word of God is at the heart of the life of a church, right? And that's not only preaching sermons, but also study, you know, Bible studies, uh, <coughs> And when we spend time in God's word on our own, when we when we encourage each other, even, you know, maybe you're uh, maybe you see other people after church today and uh, or, or call them during the week to share a verse that has helped you or maybe something from uh, from the sermon or from Bible study that was encouraging to you or that you're thinking more about when we sort of talk about God's word with one another and encourage one another with God's word. That energizes and directs all the other things we do, right? So it energizes our relationships with each other, right? It helps us to love one another more deeply as we see how Christ has loved us in his word. It helps us to reach out to the community more effectively and with a servant's heart. It helps us to uh, seek God in prayer and notice when he answers prayer because God's word encourages. So, so God's word is sort of like the engine that sort of drives all these other things uh, along with the Holy Spirit. So a healthy Christian church keeps God's word at the center of its life together and everything else can flow out from there. Instead of, if you put something else in the middle, then something else just sort of takes over and, uh, and it doesn't have the same outflow. All right, so, there's, so those are two, just two implications from the priority of public preaching, but I wanna go on because the third priority of Jesus that we see in verses 40 and 45 
is uh, private prayer, public preaching, and costly compassion. We might think that if Jesus prioritized prayer and preaching, that he would avoid people who had messy lives and complicated problems, but that is not the case. Jesus encountered a leper. And leprosy in the ancient world, if you want to think about a complicated problem that would mess up your life, leprosy would be at the top of the list. Now, the word leprosy was used to refer to a variety of skin diseases, itches, boils, burns, ringworms, scalp conditions, and other things. So we can't be completely sure what his exact condition was, but from the description here, and the description in other Gospels of the same, of the same scenario, his condition seems quite serious. Because he had been declared unclean. Uh, that's why he says, if you will, you can make me clean. Right? So, uh, now, if leprosy, what we think of as leprosy, is, is the medical term is called Hansen's disease. It's a chronic infectious disease that attacks the nervous system, and it begins with the peripheral regions like the fingers and toes. Leprosy gradually makes your body numb and unable to feel anything. And it often causes the body to become disfigured as a result. And in the ancient world, people dreaded leprosy, right? It was because there was no known cure for it. In fact, some of the rabbis said curing a leper is as hard as raising the dead. They're basically saying it's incurable. We don't know any cure for this awful disease that sort of gradually ravages your body and eventually takes your life. And so, people who were diagnosed with leprosy, it was basically an indefinite sentence of isolation. Lepers could not touch anyone. They were not allowed to live with anyone except each other. They were not allowed into the temple. They could only enter the synagogue if there was a screen separating them from everyone else. They couldn't work at normal jobs. They were supposed to remain 50 paces away, right? If someone wanted to help a leper, they could drop off food, leave, and then the leper would go and pick it up. So in all these ways, leprosy was a mark of shame and exclusion. You see, leprosy didn't just make you sick, it made you unclean. In other words, polluted or contaminated. And that's, how, that's what you would have felt like, and that's how other people would have seen you in the ancient world. And that's why the leper didn't just need healing, he needed cleansing. And yet what we see is that Jesus doesn't avoid the leper, but he extends costly compassion to this man in his miserable condition. Verse 41, moved with pity or compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Now, Jesus didn't have to touch him in order to heal him. There are several examples in the Gospels where Jesus heals people with just his word, even from a long distance away. But Jesus intentionally touched this man who would have been seen as untouchable. Because, you see, if you got too close to a leper, you would be unclean. Right? I think we can understand this actually a little better based on the last two years because we understand, oh, you were exposed. Oh, you're sick, right? If I have COVID, 
and I walk up to you, I might give it to you. Now I don't. I had it in December. You'll be fine around me. But it, right? But you're not going to give me your help if I'm sick. But I might give you my sickness. That's how things normally work in the world, and that's how things worked in the Old Testament law. Uncleanness spreads. Cleansing doesn't. Right? We say one rotten apple spoils the whole bunch, right? Got one rotten apple, it might make the other apples rotten, but it's not but the good apple is not going to fix the rotten apple. Right? This is the world we live in where sickness spreads and health doesn't. Right? But with Jesus, it's different. Jesus touches this man, and immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. You think, wow. How did that happen? What kind of power does Jesus have? And if you read the Old Testament, almost everywhere, uncleanness spreads, cleanliness and holiness doesn't, but there's one exception. In Exodus 29, in an obscure verse that probably most of us haven't read in a while, it says that the altar where sacrifices were offered in the temple, anything that touches the altar will become holy. So it was sort of the reverse. Anything that touched the altar now would become holy. Now, only the priest could come into the temple. The problem was the altar wasn't accessible to normal people. You couldn't just walk up and touch the altar and be set apart as holy for God. No, only the priests go in. They had only had to treat it certain ways and offer certain sacrifices. But there was a little picture in the Old Testament that maybe the holiness of God could be bestowed upon his people. And in fact, Isaiah had a vision of an altar in heaven. Remember Isaiah's vision of the heavenly court? And and he sees the holiness of God and he falls down and he says, I'm unclean. I, I, I come from a people of unclean lips. And the angel comes to him and, and brings him a coal from the altar and touches his lips and says, I've cleansed you. It's sort of a mysterious vision. You think, whoa, what's going on there? Somehow he's cleansed. And it says his sin is atoned for. That means his sin is covered, removed, taken away. So there's hints in the Old Testament that somehow God's holiness, God's cleansing could be contagious. And of course, this is what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to be the holy God who came into an unholy and unclean world and laid his life down as a sacrifice. You see, he has power to cleanse us and clothe us in his holiness. And yet what I, want to, what I want us to end on is I want you to see that Jesus' compassion to the leper had a cost. Jesus tells the leper, don't say anything to anybody, but go show yourself to the priest. The priest was like a doctor in those days. The priest would give you a clean bill of health and say, you're free to interact with the rest of the community. That's why he sends him to the priest. But the leper doesn't obey in verse 45. He just goes and begins to talk freely about it and to spread the news. Now, at the beginning of this story, the leper is on the outside. He can't go into town. He can't go into buildings. He can't come close to people. Nobody's going to touch him. He's on the outside, and Jesus is on the inside. 
right? Jesus is going from town to town, preaching in synagogues, dealing with people. Jesus touches the leper and heals him and cleanses him. But what do we see at the end of the story? At the end of the story, they trade places. Because Jesus, the leper, goes everywhere, freely telling the news, but Jesus could only be out in desolate places. You see, Jesus starts on the inside, and the leper starts on the outside, and when the leper encounters Jesus, Jesus trades places with him. And Jesus is on the outside, and the leper's on the inside. But of course, that was Jesus' ultimate priority in coming to earth, is to trade places with us. So the Apostles Paul says, He who knew no sin became sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, Jesus came to take our shame, and our sin, and all of our brokenness and uncleanness, and all of the messiest parts of our life. And he came to touch us and take those upon himself and trade places with us so that we could come right into the very presence of God. That was his ultimate priority on earth. And we see a little picture of that in his encounter with the leper and trading places with him. So these are the priorities of Jesus, private prayer, public preaching, and costly compassion. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for how intentional you were in building your life on communion with the Father and in teaching your word to the people. Thank you that your word continues to transform and strengthen and equip us. And Lord, we thank you for your compassion. We thank you, Lord, that you are compassionate toward us even when it cost you a great deal, even when it cost you your own life. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would be in awe of your compassion for us, that we would grow in our love for you, and that we would be people who are also marked by that compassion and that willingness to extend ourselves for the sake of others, even at cost to ourselves, even when that has a cost, that, that, that we might see other people encountering you like this leper did. Lord, we praise you, and we pray all these things in your holy name. Amen. Stand for our closing hymn, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing.
Well, feel free to join us as usual for coffee and refreshments in the next room. And go with this word of blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Peace.